It's really good to see you. You can applaud for being here. That's good. I didn't hear that, but happy new year. Yes. And, and we're off to an exciting start, aren't we? Well, uh, because of that, again, my name is Dan, and if this is your first time with us, thanks for joining us today. If you have a Bible, we're going to do something uh, the same and different. We're going to turn to two places. I want you to make your way to Revelation chapter 1, and uh, we'll, we'll start there. And then I also want you to go back to Luke's gospel, Luke chapter 4. We're going to be in Revelation, then back to Luke, and then back to Revelation as as we go today. But I've, I, um, um, how, how's everybody doing today, by, by the way? Good, good, good. Um, I, I have to do something that's it's slightly awkward. Um, I, have to, um, I have to give an apology to you as a congregation. And uh, I've only done this one other time since 23 years as, as being here. The first time was when we first started the church and it was on Sunday morning. And uh, Cheryl and I had words and I said some very snippy things to her. And I, I came to church and I walked up to, to teach and I had that conviction like God was going to strike me with lightning if I said anything. <laughs> I get that a lot, by the way. And, and so I had to stop the whole service and I had to apologize to Cheryl in front, in front of everybody. And I know you've never said anything snippy to your spouse, but, <laughs> but it has happened in, in our lives. But, um, okay, so... Um, over the holiday, what happened was uh, we went away out of town for a week. And I was watching online and I saw Jeremy and, and Drew and the great job that they did. And so um, well, as I saw that, I began to pray. And I realized that, that when I was coming back, I was going to go back to the book of Revelation and, and specifically Revelation chapter 6. So what I did was I prayed and I said, God, I'm coming back and it's going to be Revelation, but specifically Revelation chapter six, and it's the first week of the year. God, would you do or allow some things to happen in our world? (laughs) So that when we studied Revelation six, it would really connect and it would begin to make sense. And so God answered my prayer. And I, I just want to come before you and say, I'm sorry. Will you forgive me? And I promise I will never pray that prayer again. Thank you. All righty. And all God's people said, and apparently a woman. So, who knew? So, I want to make I want to make a statement today as as we get into this today, and and here's what I'm going to say. We're going to begin chapter six today. And let me just say this, that the events in Revelation, beginning in chapter 6, the time period of the tribulation, those events are so close 
to this time period that they are literally casting their shadow on the time period in which we live. And so I'm going to say that a few times today, but if I don't, if I miss it, then, then, then you know that, that uh, you'll see, we'll begin to connect the dots. But Revelation chapter one, Revelation chapter one, we are studying the book of Revelation because you see there is a rumor going around this town. There are those who are saying that the book of Revelation is hard to hard to understand, but au contraire, say we, for you see the word revelation itself means that something has been revealed. Absolutely. If God wanted to conceal something, he would have called it the concealation, not the revelation. So what is it that's revealed in this book? Well, Revelation 1 verse 1 begins by saying the revelation of Jesus Christ. And what we're going to find is that Jesus is revealed in this book, uh, not as he was 2,000 years ago, but in his eternal glorified state. And today, we're going to see Jesus revealed in a way that you might have never seen him revealed before. But God so wanted his people to read this book that he promised that for those who would take the time to read this book, they would receive a very special blessing. And that blessing is found in Revelation chapter 1, verse Revelation 1, 3, let's look at it. Only book of the Bible that says this. Blessed is he who reads, underline that, and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it for the time is near. So again, this is the only book of the Bible that says, read me, I'm special. It would be very hard for us to believe in a God who says, I'll bless you if you read it. I want you to hear the words. I want you to heed what's written in it. But here's the thing. He'll never understand it. God wanted us to understand it, but he knew that there'd be those going around saying the book of Revelation is hard to understand. So to make this book understandable, God placed in this book its very own outline. And that outline is found in Revelation chapter one, verse 19. Let's look at it. Everybody turn to chapter one, 19. And uh, John is told, and he's given three divisions in the book of Revelation. And it says, John is told, therefore, write the things which you have seen. That'll be the first division. The things which are, that will be the second division. And the things which will take place after these things. So three divisions. So the first one is John's told, write the things that you have seen. So what is it that John has seen up to this point? Well, if you look at verse 13, it says, in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man. And it begins to give a description of Jesus as he is now, we would say in his eternal glorified state. But then he says, write the things which will take, or, or the things you have seen and the things which are. Now the things which are were pertain to the time period that you and I will call the church age. And that will be found in Revelation chapters two and three. Jesus dictates seven letters to seven churches. And these churches literally exist and existed. The things what he, what he talks about actually took place. But what we found as we went through them is that these churches in their order will lay out 2,000 years of church history um, with incredible precision. If you reverse the order of any of the churches, it makes absolutely no sense. But in their order, they lay out 2,000 years of church history. But then he says... Write the things which will take place after these things. After what things? Well, after the things that are. Chapters two and three, the church age. So after these things, we will find that phrase written again in Revelation chapter four, verse one. Let's look at it. Everybody turn over to chapter four, verse one. And uh, it says, this is gonna be after the church age, chapters two and three. Revelation chapter four, verse one. You might wanna underline, 
after these things. This is going to be the, the third division in the book of Revelation. He says, I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I had heard like the, trump, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me said, come up here and I will show you what must, I've underlined that word must, it's going to happen, must take place and then again after these things, after these things. So uh, John here sees a door standing, and this is the third division. The Holy Spirit is so concerned to make sure that we don't miss that this is the third division that he begins the verse with the phrase, after these things, and he ends the verse with the phrase, after these things. And this is a picture, this is where the rapture of the church takes place. John sees a door standing open in heaven, a voice like a trumpet says, come up here. And immediately John and the rest of the church uh, is transported into heaven. We call that the rapture of the church. And one of the things that we find so interesting is that although the word church will be mentioned over 20 times in the first three chapters of Revelation, from chapter four, verse one to the end of the book, what one word will be glaringly absent? Church. And the reason being is that the church is no longer here on the ground as part of the story. So the church goes up. Now in the last paragraph of Revelation, Jesus says, I wanted to reveal these things to the churches, but it's no longer part of the story. So the church goes up and then what comes down? Wrath. And that is found in Revelation chapter six, verse 16. Everybody go over to chapter six, verse 16. This is the opening volley of that time period called the tribulation. We're going to look at that today. And in verse 16, it says, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne. That's a reference to God, the father, and from the wrath of the, who is that? Lamb. And in the Bible, the lamb is always Jesus. And uh, what we find is they're going to be very surprised that it actually happens just as the Bible said. And we'll look at that today. So in our last study, uh, we were in chapter five and you'll recall that the church was in heaven. And if you go back to chapter five real quick, the church was in heaven and uh, there was a scroll and it had seven seals on it. And we looked at that and that scroll was the title deed of the earth. We might say the cosmos, the universe, however you want to say it, but uh, it was the title deed. And there was no man found in heaven who was worthy to take the scroll. And so in verse four of chapter five, you'll recall from that study, John says, and I began to weep greatly. And he begins to weep greatly because he realizes if somebody doesn't take that title deed back and do something with it, it's just going to get worse and worse and worse. And so he begins to weep. But then you go down to verse seven and in verse seven, it says concerning Jesus of the lamb, it says he came and took the book out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. And so Jesus takes the title deed of the earth and from chapter five, verse seven to the end of the book, this is where things begin to change dramatically. We're going to go through chapter six today, but before we do, would you please go to Luke chapter four? Luke chapter four, I want to just show you something. I know for many of you, uh, this is something you've seen many, many times. So it'll be by way of review. And for others, this might be the first time that you've seen this. <clears throat> so Luke chapter four, Jesus is early in his ministry and he goes back to his hometown and he goes to the synagogue. His hometown is Nazareth. We're going to pick it up in verse 16. So in verse 16, it says he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up as was his custom. 
Uh, he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. As was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Let me just say, it says he went to the synagogue as was his custom. It was Jesus's custom to be in the place of worship. If it was a priority for Jesus, it needs to be a priority for you. If he needed it, you need it more. We need it more. So verse 17, the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him and he opened the book and found the place where it was written. Now we're gonna find, he reads from Isaiah 61. Here's what he says. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he appointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And Jesus stops right there. But it goes on, and in verse 20 it says, and he closed the book, the word literally is scroll, and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and all the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. So they're all looking at Jesus. He's handed back the scroll. And uh, they're looking at him, first of all, because they recognize that this is a prophecy of the coming Messiah. And he's just said, this has been fulfilled in your hearing today. What he is saying is, I'm that guy. I'm the Messiah. I'm the Christ. But then when it says there, all eyes were fixed on him, um, the part that we might miss is that these people in the synagogue, they knew their Bible and they knew what Jesus read and they know he left something out. And they're wondering, why did you leave that out? So what did he leave out? Well, I put that from Isaiah 61 there on your outline. And it says, the spirit of the Lord, Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And that's where Jesus stopped, but it goes on. And it says, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. You might wanna underline that. The day of vengeance of our God. You see, there are two parts to this prophecy. The first part, the favorable year of the Lord, was fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. But this is a prophecy. And for prophecy to be true, it all has to be fulfilled. The second part of this prophecy, the day of vengeance of our God, begins in Revelation chapter 6. That begins the beginning of that second part of the prophecy. So I want you to go all the way back to the book of Revelation. How many of you did not know that before, by the way? Good, you learned something. Let's close in prayer and quit early while, we, <laughs> while, while we're still ahead. So go to chapter six. So here, here's, this is when this begins to take place. But so you get chapter four, the church goes up. It's the rapture of the church. Chapter five, there's a title deed. Jesus takes the title deed. It has seven seals on the title deed. And in chapter six, Jesus begins to open up those seals. So let's see what happens. We're gonna pick it up. Chapter six, um, chapter six. I told you to go to Revelation and I'm not there. Here we go. Chapter six, verse one. It says, then I saw when the lamb broke one of the seven seals and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice of thunder, come. Now, that's an interesting word, by the way. It's sort of like the word aloha, the word come there. 
They say, you go to Hawaii, aloha means come or go. And uh, so this word, you can translate it as come, come and see, or go. And, and all of them work. So you could say go. So verse two, I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow and a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. So the first seal is open. Write this down, we'll unpack it. And this is going to be the antichrist with a false peace, false peace. The, the, the tribulation, you know, if you watch the tribulation movies, the rapture movies, the tribulation always begins with the rapture. That's not, not true. The tribulation begins when this one called the Antichrist is revealed. He has over 30 titles in the Bible. We're going to call him the Antichrist because that's what we're, we're most familiar with. We're also going to find that, that uh, he can't be Jesus because his buddies are going to be war, famine, and death. And we'll see that as, as we go. But he appears in chapter 6, verse 2. So you, you don't want to spend your time trying to figure out who the Antichrist is because the church goes up in chapter four. He's revealed in chapter six. We won't know who he is. And we'll talk about that more as we go. So he, he appears and he's on a white horse. Now, typically a white horse means victory. It means conquering. And that's, that's common in that culture and ours. But um, you'll remember in Jesus's ministry, Jesus said something as much of the world was rejecting him. Uh, there in your outline, he says, I have come in my father's name and you do not receive me. But if, if another comes in his own name, you will receive him. This one in chapter six is going to be the one that the world will receive as the Messiah, the Christ. And we notice in verse two, he says, I looked and behold a white horse and he who sat on it had a bow. And you notice that he has a bow, but there's no arrows. And so you just want to tuck that away. And a crown was given to him and he went out conquering and to conquer. Now the bow in the Bible is also a symbol of a covenant. And you want to write that down. It's a symbol of a covenant. And uh, I put Genesis 9, 3, and you can look up the covenant that God gave with his bow in the sky. By the way, rainbow and bow are the same words in the Bible. So, uh, it, and so in Genesis chapter 9, he gives the covenant of the rainbow. What we find about this one who's called the Antichrist is that he is going to enforce a covenant. He's going to enforce a covenant. So if you go back to Daniel, in Daniel chapter 8, and I put this there in your outline, speaking of this guy, the Antichrist, it says, and through his policy, and I'm underlined that, he shall cause craft to prosper in his hand, and he shall magnify himself in his heart, underline this, and by peace shall destroy many. He shall also stand up against the prince of princes, and that's Jesus, but he shall be broken down. So his policy, his covenant, he's going to come in with a great deal of peace, um, and, but ultimately that's going to destroy so many. It's going to be a false peace, and we'll see that as we go. Now in Daniel 9 from the Living Bible, it says it like this. This king will make a seven-year treaty with the people, but after half that time, that's three and a half years in the middle, he will break his pledge and stop the Jews from all their sacrifices and their offerings. You want to underline that? Then as a climax to all his terrible deeds, the enemy shall utterly defile, and you want to underline the sanctuary of God, but in God's time and plan, his judgment will be poured out upon this evil one. 
this one, as it comes to power, is going to enforce or make a covenant which is going to involve the Jewish people. For this covenant to take place, the Jewish people have to be back in the land of Israel. They weren't in the land of Israel for almost 2,000 years, but in 1948, they became a nation again. Only nation on the planet in the history of the world that that's happened. And so they are going to be having offerings and sacrifices, but in the middle of the seven-year time period, he's going to go into that holy place, the temple, and he's going to defile it. And we'll talk about that more as we go. But this one, at least initially, is going to appear to settle what we might call the Middle East crisis and, and bring a great deal of peace, and he's going to be received by the many. So this, as he comes in by peace, but it's going to be only for a short time, it's going to be a false peace, because here's what happens, verses three and four. It says, when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come or go. And another, a red horse went out and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth. And I've underlined that, to take peace from the earth that men would slay one another and great sword, a great sword was given to him. The second seal when it's broken is going to be war. You want to write that down. And uh, this is going to be like World War II on steroids. And so it's going to be a, a, just men will be killing one another in this time. This will, we'll see that as we go. They thought this guy was the answer because he brought peace. But it was a short-lived peace. They're still going to believe in him. And we'll see that as we go. Verse 5. Then he broke the third seal. And I heard the third living creature say, come or go. And I looked and behold a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. Underline that, a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures. And I've always pictured this voice or in my head sounding like, you know, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius and do not damage the oil and the wine. But you want to underline a quart of wheat for a denarius and it has uh, three quarts of barley for a denarius. Uh, the third seal, when that opens, is going to be famine. You want to write that down. In those days, a denarius was a day's wage. And uh, here in verse six, it says, I heard something like a voice in the center of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius. A quart of wheat was a day's ration. It was also called a soldier's ration. So the idea is that if you had a quart of wheat, that was enough food to feed one person for a day. And for a denarius, a denarius was a wage that you, if you worked a whole day, you'd be paid a denarius. So the idea is that you would work all day and you would receive enough food for one person for that day. But if you have a family, uh, it's not going to be enough. Does that make sense? And then it says, it goes on to say, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. And uh, that's interesting because barley is cheaper, at least in those days. But people are saying, I will work for food all day. I'll work all day to get enough food to feed me one person. But again, if you have a family, it's not going to be enough to go around. But notice the last line of verse 6. And it says, and do not damage the oil and the wine. So 
you have on the one hand, you have this incredible famine, and then you have this other statement, do not damage the oil and the wine. So I, I put there on your outline, this comes from Missler's commentary, and he says, oil and wine, equivalent in our culture to toiletries, beauty aids, luxuries. This is more than famine alone. It describes global rationing and controls. The coming world leader will control the economy. So what we're going to find here is you have on the one hand famine, and then on the other hand, this incredible uh, riches, incredible luxury. So you're going to have this inequality of resources, and it's going to be very dramatic, and we'll see that as, as we go. So some are working all day to get enough food for one person, but the others say, hey, don't, don't hurt the oil or the, the, the wine. It's, those are the luxuries. You've heard me say that the events of the tribulation are so close that they're literally casting their, their shadow on this time. How many of you have heard of what's called the Great Reset? The Great Reset. I want to encourage you, if you don't know about that, when you go home today, take about 15 minutes, type in the Great Reset and find out what many nations are planning and uh, you draw your own conclusions. But in other places, it tells us that this one will control the economy, pretty much of the, the whole world. So for instance, in Revelation 13, you want to underline a couple of these things. He causes all both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, underline slave, to receive a mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. And that no one may be able to buy or sell except one who has the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name. And we'll certainly talk about that more when we get to chapter 13. But for almost 2,000 years, this was considered an, something that would be allegorical, mystical. It could never really literally take place. I mean, how could one person have it so that everybody in the known world would have to take a mark? You know, it's only, you know, a couple hundred years ago, there was no electricity or anything like that. The world was very separated. But as the world became more and more connected, it became more and more possible at least to consider that this could be a possibility. And, and, and so if, if you've been around the church for some time, you've heard me say, if you saw the rapture movies back in the 60s and 70s, they thought the mark, you know, as they began to believe it could take place, would be a tattoo of 666 on their head. How many of you remember those movies? Good, good, you, best time, great movies. Cheesy, but, but a lot of fun. And then in the 80s and the 90s, they began to say, well, maybe it's not a tattoo on the forehead. Maybe it's a chip under the skin. And how many of you have ever heard something like that? Well, what we're going to find is that uh, as we get closer to it, we're going to find that whatever this is, it's going to alter human DNA. And I'm going to suggest possibly that it could be a vaccine. And we'll talk about that more when we get there. But but when I say that the events of, our, of this time, the tribulation, are casting their shadow on our time, you and I live in the first time where you can't buy or sell pretty much worldwide without wearing a mask. And uh, after that, uh, they're, they're saying you're not going to be able to buy or sell. You won't be able to go to school, get on an airplane, have a job unless you have the vaccine and you have proof of that vaccine. Now, let me just say, the vaccine that's going around right now is not the mark of the beast, okay? But, but, but here's what's happening. We're stepping in that direction so that the events of this time are literally casting a shadow on our current time. Does that make sense? So you have the 
first seal, the Antichrist comes with a false peace, short-lived. You have the second seal, and it's war. It's war. Uh, I want to say war, like a world war on steroids. The third seal is famine, but then verses 7 and 8, it says, When the Lamb broke the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come, and I looked, and behold, an ashen horse. Some, some of your Bibles will say pale, or it'll say ashen. You want to underline that. We'll talk about that word. And he who sat on it had the name death and Hades, some of your Bibles say hell, was following with him. Authority was given to them over a fourth of the earth, 25%, to kill with sword and with famine and with pestilence. Some of your Bibles say death. The word there is thanatos, so it could be death or pestilence. And by the wild beasts of the earth. So the fourth seal in this time will be death. It'll be death. And this is very early in the tribulation. Now, the, the word there for pale or ashen uh, is the word there in your outline. I put it there as the word chloros. Does everybody see that? It's the word chloros, uh, which is defined uh, as greenish, green, or pale. And what it does is it describes a body as it would be after it's been dead for three or four days or so. Is this the most positive message we've ever... <laughs> it gets better. But, but the idea is when you think of 25% of the earth dying you know, over a very short period of time, where do, you, where do you put them all? Where do you put them all? And so if you take that verse, and I put it there from the net translation, net means new English translation. Notice how it translates it. So I looked and here came a pale green horse. The name of the one who wrote it was death and Hades, King James says hell, followed right behind. When it says that, that death, and then you notice it says Hades or hell follows right behind. Now, the, the reason this is so important is that believers do not go to hell or Hades. And so you have death taking place but hell or Hades is falling right behind and gobbling, gobbling them up and taking them to that place as they've believing the, the, the wrong person. So the way that they're killed, and again, it's 25%, it'll say sword, famine, um, pestilence or plague, some of your Bibles say, disease. And then it says, and by the wild beasts of the earth, wild beasts. Now, when you read that, um, you know, this is not lions, tigers, and bears Oh my, uh, this is uh, something else. And, and uh, it's suggested that the most dangerous beasts on the planet are not large animals, but they're microscopic. And so some suggest that, that whatever this is might be something microscopic. So we don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't give us the size of it. It just tells us the wild beast and the word there is therion. So in this time, early in the tribulation, you have... These who are dying and hell is gobbling them up and that's where they're going as they die. But then on the other hand, on the other hand, you have the next seal, which begins in verse nine. And in verse nine, it says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar, and you wanna underline that, the souls of those who had been slain, they're killed, they're killed because of the word of God and because of the testimony which they had maintained. 
And they cried out with a loud voice saying, how long, O Lord, holy and true, will you refrain from judging and avenging our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And we'll talk about the earth dwellers later on. And there was given, underline the word given, to each of them a white robe. And they were told that they should rest for a little while longer until the number of their fellow servants and their brethren were to be killed. And you might want to underline that, even as they had been. It implies that they're going to be killed in the same way. And we'll talk about that. Would be completed also, would be completed also. The fifth seal we're going to call the tribulation martyrs. The tribulation martyrs. They're killed for their testimony of Jesus that they hold on to, which took place in the time of the first four seals. Uh, they're not the church. They're the ones who become believers in that time period uh, after the church is removed and the tribulation begins. When the church is removed, millions upon millions of people who've heard about the rapture of the church, they've heard about the tribulation, they didn't believe, but they've heard about it. All of a sudden, it's going to make sense. And they're going to decide, I'm in, and they're going to follow Jesus. And, and yet, uh, it's going to cost most of them their lives. They're going to be killed for that. This group is not the church. They're believers, they're in heaven, but they're not the church. I want to show you just a couple of things, uh, some differences. When verse nine, it says, when the lamb broke the fifth seal, I saw underneath the altar. In chapter four, the church is not underneath the altar. The church is around the throne of God. So they're in a unique place there in eternity or there in this time period. And then in verse 11, it says there was given to each of them a white robe, which is very different than the church. In chapter four, when the church goes up, you just notice everybody is dressed in a white robe. But here it appears as as they are arriving, uh, not collectively as the whole church, but as individuals, as they are arriving, they are given a white robe and they are under the throne or under the altar rather. So there's going to be great revival, but for many of them, it's going to cost them their lives. Now, when it says in verse 11, the very last line says, those who are to be killed even as they had been, it implies that they're going to be killed in the same way. So what is the method of execution that will be prominent or prevalent in the time period of the tribulation? We're gonna find this same group in Revelation chapter 20. And in chapter 20, here's what it says. I put it there in your outline. It says, when I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded, underline that, because of their testimony of Jesus and because of the word of God and those who had not worshiped the beast or his image and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Same group, same group. In ancient Israel, when someone was executed, it was always by stoning. By the time the Romans come, the, the form of execution is crucifixion and they, they wanted to make a real show out of it. But in this time, the form of execution is going to be beheading. Now, I, I find that interesting because if you're like me and I grew up several decades ago, um, there was a religion that practiced beheading, but they were on the other side of the world they were backwards, nobody took them serious. 
But in the last 30 years, they have become the fastest growing religion on the planet. And uh, that religion is Islam. So what does Islam practice? Well, if you break out your handy dandy copy of the Quran and you flip over to the 47th surah. Now, the Quran is uh, put together a little bit differently than, than our Bibles. Uh, the, it's, it's more just chapters. And uh, the Bible is written by many people over thousands of years. And, and where this is written by one person over just a time period in his own life. And so here's what it says. And I'm just going to read it. It says, when ye encounter the infidels. Now, infidels in Islam are anybody who does not embrace Islam, who doesn't worship Allah. When ye encounter the infidels, strike off their heads till ye have made a great slaughter among them and of the rest make fast the fetters. So you have beheading. And so uh, you, you all remember in 2014, we were shocked and horrified as ISIS became a household word and, and uh, they would go in and they would behead the men. But it says, strike off their head and make fast the fetters. To make fast the fetters means to make somebody a slave. You, you put them in the fetters and, and now you own them. And so we saw ISIS come in and behead the men primarily and then take the women, Christian and Yazidi women, and they would sell them back and forth as slaves. And we were horrified. At but, but they would say, we're just doing what our book says. And so they did that. Now, let me say, I'm not making a political statement here. I don't intend it to be. We were told by the administration at that time that, you know, they didn't really want to do anything about this because this is an ideological thing. And this could take decades for us to work out. We want to win their hearts, but we don't want to step in. I am so grateful that the current administration... Uh, didn't say that, but they went and they ended that in about 15 minutes. So, whether you like him or not, I can tell you, I'm personally thankful as I saw Christian and Yazidi girls sold that way, that he did something. I can tell you there's a lot of Christian and Yazidi girls who are very thankful that he stepped in and did something on their behalf. Again, this, this, you know, whether you like them or not. Now, on, on the other hand, let me just say, most Muslims do not want to cut your head off, okay? They're, they, they, they're like many Christians. They don't open their book. They don't read it. They're more cultural Muslims. They have a live and let live kind of uh, mentality. But in this time period, whatever religion is predominant in this time period is going to become very radicalized, and that is going to be the method of execution. Isn't it interesting that the events of the tribulation are so close that I believe they are casting their shadow down on the time in which we live. That makes sense? So the question is, if you missed the rapture, do you get a second chance? Yes, but it might cost you your head. It might cost you your head. And if you can't follow Jesus now, you're gonna have a very hard time following Jesus in that time. Well, verse 12, and we're gonna call this the, the day of wrath, and, and it's gonna be the next seal. I looked and he broke the sixth seal and there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair and the whole moon became like blood. Now you always want to pay attention in Revelation so it's like as sackcloth made of hair and the moon became like blood. He's not saying it became blood, it's just the best way to describe it. 
And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree cast its unripe figs and shaken by a great wind. And the sky was split apart like a scroll and it rolled up and every mountain and every island were moved out of their places. Some suggest possibly an axis change on the earth. And the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich, and I've underlined that, and every strong and every slave, you want to underline that, and free man hid himself in the caves. We might say bunkers today. And among the rocks of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne, God the Father, and from the wrath of the Lamb, Jesus. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? This is the opening volley of that seven-year period known as the tribulation. And it's filled with cataclysmic events, stars falling. Now, the word stars there is a star take. I mean, stars like we have, we talk about stars in the sky and we talk about stars who are like movie stars and all that. So you can look at it either way. I would take that these are something coming from the sky and it's hitting the earth and it's cataclysmic. That appears to be. Uh, You notice also there's different classes of people in this time. There's the super rich and there are slaves. There's a couple of possibilities when it says slaves. It could be that one religion becomes very prominent in the time period and uh, their book speaks extensively on how you're able to own slaves. And uh, if you were to go to um, Saudi Arabia, they didn't outlaw slavery until the 1960s. And uh, you can see some videos of that on YouTube. And right now, in Africa, the people of Islam have over 20 million slaves and they sell them back and, and forth. And so... Uh, it's very prominent today, and it's endorsed by, by Islam. Uh, they, they don't always want you to know that, but, but it's true. So that could be a possibility. Or it could be that there are people who are so rich, and then there are people who are just starving, and they literally sell themselves just to, to be able to have food. Uh, and again, I, I want you to go home today and look up the Great Reset and see what it actually says and the countries that are advocating that. But we notice something there in verse 16. It says, they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the lamb. And so what we notice here, and it's on your outline, recognizing and experiencing God's wrath does not lead to repentance. They know where it's coming from and they are rejecting him. His goodness they don't want, his wrath, nothing will cause them to turn to him. So in this opening volley, what we see is that a number of people will call to him and they will die and they will go, what it says, under the altar there in heaven. Others, they will still reject. They recognize where the wrath is coming from. And as they die, Hades is gobbling them up and they're they're going to to that place. They have the opportunity to repent, but they, they won't. They don't want anything to do with it. And uh, there, I put on your outline, those who dwell on the earth. And we're going to talk about the earth dwellers as we go, but you always want to pay attention to that. They're, they're going to be called the earth dwellers. This is their home. So the seventh seal is going to be opened up in chapter eight. But before that seal is opened up, something has to happen in chapter seven. And we're going to talk about that next week. Did you find that interesting today?
there comes a time when God says, enough, enough. And in our world right now, you'll recall it was a few months ago we went through and we talked about how in ancient Israel and Jeremiah, as they sacrificed their babies to certain gods, uh, God said three times, don't even pray for these people, I will not hear you. Do not pray for these people, I will not hear you. And uh, you'll recall that in that, there's no call to repentance. Israel had sacrificed a few thousand where the United States of America has sacrificed over 60 million. And it's the one sin that God says, don't even pray for them, uh, I will not hear you. And, and so there comes that time when God says, it's enough, it's enough. We saw this past week where a man who professes to be a Christian who professes to be a pastor, who is a chaplain for our government, stands up, will not say the name of Jesus. He invokes the name of Brahma and, 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 uh, and calls for every uh, you know, God, um, monotheistic God. And, and, and people believe him to be a, let me just say, he's not a Christian, he's an apostate. He, he will not be there on the day. There's just no way that, that, that he can be. You can't say that and be a Christian. And so, um, but here's the thing. Because he has attached reverend to his name, many people will follow him to their eternal doom. And there comes a point when God says, enough, enough. In our world today, there are those who are saying, Jesus is not God, you can't say that Jesus is God. By the way, just for fun, you break out your handy dandy Quran and uh, you go to the fourth surah and uh, I want you to hear what it says. And they're saying, verily we have slain the Messiah, Jesus, the son of Mary, an apostle of God. They won't call him God. He's an apostle, but not God. Yet they slew him not. He wasn't crucified. And they crucified him not but they had only his likeness and they who differed about him were in doubt concerning him. No sure knowledge had they about him, but followed only an opinion and they did not really slay him, but God took him to himself and God is mighty and wise. So at the core of Islam, it says, Jesus is not God. He was not crucified. We are confused. God just took him. There comes a point where God says, people who are saying, that Jesus is not God, he is not my son, it comes to an end and they won't repent and he says, enough. We are very, very close. And we're seeing that in our world today. Well, with that, before I start going, and another thing, we're just gonna close in, in prayer. And as we do, my, my question, my hope for you, guys, it's happening. It's close. It's not 50 years away. It's happening. It doesn't get better. I know we're all saying, I can't wait for 2020 to be done. It's getting warmed up. You want to make sure that you know Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, who is God, God the Son of God, who died for everything you ever did, paid the price for you, so that you can be in eternity with him and have relationship with him now. And he's made it so easy, and many people miss it. So as we pray... You can invite him in. So join me as we pray. 
Father, we come before you today and thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for revealing these things to your church. And we realize that those who say the book of Revelation is hard to understand, that is not the spirit that comes from you, that comes from another spirit because you want us to see so that we'll, we will make sure that we are trusting and uh, believing in the right Jesus. So we just come before you today and we say, Jesus, Jesus of the Bible, Jesus who is God, God the Son of God, thank you for paying all of the price for everything I've ever done and ever will do. I receive that. I want your salvation. Come into my life and and begin your work in me. I I want to follow you. And he promises if you say that, you invite him in, he will step in and he'll never leave you. Father, I thank you for this congregation. I pray God that you keep us until we meet again. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, And, and not a woman. One, one final thing. The word amen just means so be it. That's all it means. It's not a man-woman thing. Okay, so amen. Amen. <laughs>